listening to Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed, the People's Podcast, featuring the expert analyst, John Sutherland. We are here to rock the podcast world. People, the long-awaited interview from by James Combe has arrived on the Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed podcast. Basically, the Miss Man has been DJing for nearly 40 years in Edinburgh. He has d- done all different genres of music. He's DJed in many, many clubs in Edinburgh. So, some of them have changed names since he started in 1972. So, here's the man himself, James Combe on the Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed Podcast, baby. Welcome, people, to the Hatchet and Ramsey Unleashed show. We have our second interviewee, the man behind the decks in Edinburgh, long-serving DJ, and uh, local to Edinburgh, and he is James Combe. He has been doing DJing for the best part of forty years, even before I was born. Which, my goodness, scary how time flies. Okay, people, we are here in the in the hot seat. The man himself, James Combe. Welcome to James Combe, everybody. Hello, Fraser. Thank you very much, and thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. Thank you for um, we, listen. We hope that you have uh, you. The history of this guy is just fascinating. To all our sexy beach listeners out there, to all the people listening to this, you will have fun listening to this. The man behind the decks, the man who stands up week in week out in a salsa salsa place pumping out the tunes for everybody to dance to this is the best this will fascinate you so let's just get started because it's going to be interesting right listeners well thank you again for volunteering thank you for that's no problem no problem this is uh, well basically let's start off you, 1972 you left school now, yeah I was at, I was at Tyne Castle uh, senior secondary and um, I, I actually got eight levels mm-hmm. and I had a decision to try and stay on to take my A-levels but with my personal circumstances my father had died mm-hmm. when I was nine and a half and my mother you know was finding it difficult for me to carry on continuing at school mm-hmm. so at that time you used to have apprenticeships so the decision I had to make was I, I, well it, it was made for me I couldn't actually stay on at school so I left school, but I actually joined the army. They had the apprenticeship at the Royal Corps of Signals, yep. Army Apprentice College in Harrogate. How old were you when you left school? Uh, 16. 16, okay. So that was 1972. Mm-hmm. So I went down to um, Harrogate, and I did a... It was meant to be a three-year apprenticeship. Right. It was actually ended up with the condensed... It, same curriculum, but they condensed it down to two and a half years. Okay. So I left um, Harrogate in May 1975, and then I went to my first real uh, posting, which was uh, First Division uh, Royal Corps Signals. And that was based in a little village in Fairden, which was between Hamburg and Bremen in the northwest of Germany. Wow. So what, what did you, because of this apprenticeship, was, was it kind of, that's what made you want to go into the army? Or kind of, because it's... Well... Was it, was it just because you had to do no, it? No, to, to be honest, I felt that my mother was quite protective of me because obviously when my father died at an early age yeah. so I felt she was smothering me okay. trying to try to tell me almost in that I was saying I'm mummy's boy right. but I just felt I needed that breathing space Okay. so what I did was I, I went to the, the army the signals 
And I still sent back a weekly allowance as if I was staying at home giving her a rent. Okay. You know, so so in that sense, I thought I was being a good son. But what was interesting about going to Harrogate, that's what sparked the real interest in music. Okay. Because when you went to Harrogate, you were in eight-man rooms. Mm-hmm. And each little room was almost like a little mini flat, if you know what I mean. You had your own yeah. private space. Mm-hmm. And it was like a, a melting pot because what happened was there was one guy I can remember in the corner. He was in the because they were talking about the early seventies, so he was in the progressive music. Okay. So you had things like Jeff Jeff Hotel, Yes, Free, Genesis, mm-hmm. you know Uriah Heep. You know okay. some of your listeners may be too young to remember these names, but at that time that the progressive scene was big. So there was one guy in the progressive music. There was one guy in the corner in the Tamil Motown. There was another guy who was in the soul, but we're talking about sax funk, which is slightly different from the Motown. Okay. Then there was another guy who was in the country music. Okay. There was another guy in the rock music, so he was in his his Led Zeppelins, his uh, Status Quo, mm-hmm. you know, his Black Sabbath. Okay. You know, that sort of thing. And then another guy who was in the general music. And myself, I just became like a musical sponge. Right. So I just listened to all this music. I didn't sort of put any judgment on it. I had open ears, open mind, and I thought, and that's the thing about music. That's it. what I love about music that sparked that interest is, to me, there's nothing stronger than the, the power of music, the emotion that can evoke. Mm-hmm. You know yourself, sometimes yeah. you can hear a song mm-hmm. and it'll take you back like a time machine. Exactly. You know, you can actually smell, you can remember being there, all the colours, mm-hmm. everything that was happening at that time. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what about music that really opened up. It was just like, right, I'm going to go on a journey. In the 70s as well, you didn't have the internet, you know, and you had you, you were force-fed in, in a way, still now with the music, if you listen to Radio 1, it's, it, you have your musical playlist, it's on a rotation, mm-hmm. so you tend to get, um, I wouldn't say brainwashed, but subtly, it's, yeah, it's, it's like drip feeding all the time. Ah, it's, it's so, like in your 40s days, a lot of uh, it's repeated in the sense, and a lot of the songs that are... Yeah, you'll hear it, you'll hear yeah, it, right. over the course of the day, if you have the radio on all day, you'll hear the same songs popping up at quite frequent intervals, yeah. okay? So people don't realise it's subliminal, it's in the back of your mind. It's a bit like when you go to a club, yeah. you hear the last song the DJ plays, so many times you go down the street singing the last song you hear. Exactly. You know what I mean? It sticks in your mind. Exactly. So, so that, was, that was it. And then, and then, like I say, when I went to Germany, with the, with the, the Royal Corps Signals, you got the rank on your arm to give you the money for the knowledge you had in your head. Okay. So when you immediately leave training, you've got one stripe, you saw your large corporal. Okay. After one year in training, you automatically get your second stripe. Mm-hmm. So in the corporal's mess, when at the age of 19, 19 and a half, uh, I was just coming up from my, my birth, birth, I would have been 20 in, in 1976. So I was just 19 and three quarters. Um, we're talking 1976 now. The guy that used to be the regular DJ in the couple's mess was leaving. Mm-hmm. So there were about 200 couples in the, in the unit. And we were in this room and he said, Couple Wilson's going to leave. We're looking for somebody to, you know, take over. And believe it or not, people that might know me that's listed to this might think, well, you know, you're not that shy now. But then I was still quite introvert inside. And I, to this day, Fraser, I don't know what made me put my hand up and say, I'll do it. 
because it wasn't until afterwards realisation kicked in I thought what have I, what have I let myself in, into here mm. now my good mate uh, Gary I said to him right we're going to do like a smashing nicey we're going to double team so we'll play we'll support each other and we'll play off each other because we had a good sense of humour at the time Monty Python was big in the 70s so we were very Monty Python so we had that sort of zany sense of humour so we brought that to the DJ and what, what happened was because of that shyness I looked on the DJ booth as being like a stage mm -hmm. so as I walked through the door I closed that door behind me I took on this persona and then in the 70s it was all about having the part on the microphone so I used to tune into Radio 1 and listen to Emperor Roscoe and Kenny Everett well, uh, who, were on, who were on the radio then that's a long time ago <laughs> and I used to use you know for want of a better expression I used to nick some of their parts so for example Roscoe you know he was real American on the radio and it was you know, make your liver quiver, put a little cut in your strut, a little pride in your stride on the dance floor. So that's where it took off. And, and we were doing the, the, the Cottles Mess Disco. And then we were getting so good at it that we decided we would buy our own little mobile disco. And there was four squadrons in the unit. And we went around rotation. We went, we'd get people getting us booking, can you come to our squadron night? So that's, that's where, and then obviously 70s disco was just coming in. So disco and general music, that's, that was my, my initial genre of music that, that I, I played at DJ. So did you find while doing, while you sort of uh, adapting this sort of kind of character as a sort of smashy nicey type thing, did you find that brought you into a bit more confidence as you were doing more DJing? As yeah, you, yeah, it did. More out of maybe your, 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 your sort of shyness, your shell, or did you find it, it really gave you a sort of boost to, to in, as you went on? As you, yeah, as yeah. You did it. I, I mean, to where I am now, I mean, I don't think I can distinguish between the DJ character and, and me is, is James Cole right. you know the, the, the two of them are really now, now, now immersed as one but yeah I did feel that um, I suppose it's a bit like an actor mm -hmm. an actor goes on stage takes on the persona of the, of the, the character exactly yeah. you know I mean how many times have you heard about people like uh, Peter Sellers Spike Milligan and all that when they're away from the stage they've got a, a, a dark side yeah you know what I mean so yeah I, I think over the course of the years the two have definitely um, got together and mingled as one okay so basically from 1976 in June 1978 you left the army and, went back to, and moved back to Edinburgh um, and worked for Ferrantes for those who don't know who, what Ferrantes are Ferrantes have been around for a long long time even my, my grandpa Barn worked for Ferrantes the one just at Ferry Road along the road from where we are now um, and it's now called what's it called it's, it's, oh, it's, a, it's a space agency it's, it's a, space a crucial roundabout right in Edinburgh if you, basically it's you know, sort of west sort of kind of northwest sort of north part of Edinburgh um, it used to be called G, it's Mark, it's G, GEC uh, Marconi Marconi took over GEC Marconi took yeah. over Ferrantes and that was like the death knell for Ferrantes because it's like anything when it, when, yeah. when somebody takes over they consolidate yeah exactly you know yeah. but I was based in Ferranti at Robertson Avenue okay. I, was, I was at Robertson Avenue yeah so, so was, you could always tell when the traffic was busy when Franties obviously came out for a quarter uh, <laughs> in the day you couldn't move the Franties were even because <laughs> he used to think they stuck in traffic but so you went to Franties and what did you what did you sort of do at Franties what were your sort of well because of my, my training with the Royal Corps of Signals I, I was a radio really, radio really tech 
technician with the signals. Yeah. And I, I, I was um, working in test equipment and maintenance. Sure. So, for example, uh, you had the moving map display on the tornado planes. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the instruments that, that were calibrated that moving map display for the sighting systems, mm -hmm. we calibrated the instruments that calibrated them. Well, you know, so 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 that was that, that was basically it. We we calibrated all the equipment to make sure that it was all you know spot on. So these guys flying these tornadoes, you know, the moving map displays, everything was accurate. So with that being with that being your sort of daily job, and obviously your main income, but when you when did you start sort of getting your first gig as a DJ? What got you as your well because of, because obviously I had I'd grown the love of it, you know, being in the army. Um, I, I lived at the top of the Royal Mile at the the Long Market, the upper boat. I went back to live with my mum. And obviously we're right in the centre. So where we were at the top of Johnson Terrace where the Highland Tollbooth is, okay. you've got a little upper bowl going down to Victoria Street. Yeah. And in Victoria Street, there's a club there now which is called Espionage. Okay. But before it was Espionage, it used to be called many years ago. It started off originally actually as Nicky Tams, which was like a, a live folk music institution. To our listeners out there, for the ones who are maybe feeling a bit nostalgic and been maybe remember a lot of these clubs in your heyday, if you read some of our listeners who are more will realise what these clubs are and the changing of the names, and you maybe can remember the times that you were in these places, and maybe James was DJing at the time. So here it goes. It's right. on. So, okay. it's, so now Nicky Tams. Yeah, so, so Nicky Tams changed to what was called the place. Mm -hmm. It was the place, the place, the ultra disco. That was what was called the place, the ultra disco. Mm -hmm. And like you say, if you know, if you know the format of the espionage, it's over like four floors. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Now. It, we're now talking about 1978, so Saturday Night Fever had just kicked off big time. And um, there was two DJs. Now, there was Aussie C, who was a black guy, African guy from Gambia. Mm -hmm. And there was another guy, I can't remember his, his surname, but it was Tony. He had such silver white hair. Mm -hmm. But the main thing about the Ultra Disco, the place was, it actually had the illuminated floor like in Saturday Night Fever. So I had that floor, and that was a, that was a talking point. You've got to go along to the, the place, you know. Now because it was literally a minute's walk from my house at the upper bowl, that became my regular haunt. So when I was going in, you had the two in the main disco area. There was two floors. There was the main floor with the illuminated floor with Tony, which was like your general pop disco stuff. So we're talking like seventy. So you're talking about like Gloria again. I will survive. Stephanie Mills never knew love like this before. Late late seventies. And downstairs we had what was called the Soul Cellar, which was real hardcore black dance music, you know. Mm -hmm. And Ozzy obviously was there. Now, because I was into my music, I used to keep going up and asking for these requests. And it's like even now as a DJ, if you get somebody coming up all the time asking for a specific song, you're thinking, well, this guy knows his music. It's not something that's generally hurt. Yeah. So through that, I built up a friendship where I'm talking to him and he, he asked me what my history was and I told him, well, I was DJing in Germany and he said, well, you know, how would you like to join the team here? So that's how I got the, the foot in the door at the place. Mm -hmm. So that was right about 1978, 1979 and I, I DJed at the place until 1983, 84. And obviously and then we're talking late 70s. So because it was over two floors Tony left Ozzy went upstairs to become the general DJ and I took over downstairs okay. now the downstairs used to sort of on the weekends sometimes it would be open two floors 
through the week it was open for functions, right? birthday parties, engagements, and you know what type of music you're getting. Yeah. You're getting general music. Did you find um, between obviously we were stating the obvious question that from 1979 when you kicked off DJing to 19 roughly to me 1984, did you find much in that day and age? Was did the music change much? Oh yeah, yeah, because um, your punk music. If you remember late seventies, the punk music really kicked off. Then around about nineteen eighty, you had the new romantics. So you had Spandau Ballet, Duran Duran, all all that coming on. You know, Japan, all all the all this thing. And the thing, the success that I would say to anybody wanting to take up DJing is to always have an open mind. Don't compartmentalise yourself and and just say this is. I mean. you know, if, if, if you want nowadays, you know, there's different genres you can specialise in, you can, you know, genre. But I think what's given me my longevity is the fact that I've been able to, because yeah. I've got a love of music in general, mm-hmm. I, I just go with the flow. Right. So, so for example, getting into the jazz funk scene in, in, the, in the, the late seventies, early eighties, you know, so we'd have like real good people coming in wanting to hear good jazz funk music. Um, and we had the soul music, we had the funk nights, we had the disco nights. I mean, I've even done heavy metal nights where I've had uh, Hell's Angels. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and and what, was weird, what was weird about that? People might not remember, but there was a group called Rainbow. Okay. And there was a guy that was a lead singer called Graham Bonnet. Mm-hmm. The thing about Graham Bonnet was Rainbow was you would you call him a rock band. Okay. But Graham Bonnet used to come in with like the Hawaiian shirt. The Tom Cruise aviator glasses, the the spiked up hair, so he looked out of place, but he's, he had a rock voice. Wow! Right. So what I started doing was I thought, right, I've got a rock night, so I did the same. I walked in in a heavy metal night. I had a Magnum, sorry, Magnum type Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> white, because then I was a lot skinnier. I was I was a thirty-two waist. I had these white jeans on, the aviator glasses, and the the, the hell's interest guys are saying, what the hell's going on here? But then as soon as I put in sort of uh, Led Zeppelin or you know Black Sabbath or Rush or you know what I mean Rock Night then I said oh the guy knows his music and I built up relationship with him and they were good guys cool. you know what I mean obviously you've got the stereotypical Hells Angels but when you got to know them they were good guys wow so I've been just reading we're giving a follow here um so basically, eventually you went to Buster Brown's, but you also, where did your point when you, you were saying that you, you did um, an audition for a gig and it was, it was Buster oh, Brown? Yeah, yeah, yeah well, what, what, before I got the, the, the gig at the place, mm-hmm. you know, there, there was a, in the evening news, there was a, an advert came up saying open auditions okay. at the Maybury, which is now the Maybury Casino, yeah. but then it was the Maybury Road, Roadhouse, okay. so it was a Roadhouse disco. And um, I went along there to do the auditions, and in actual fact, the guy that was listening to us doing our, our little audition sets was Bob Malcolm, who obviously became famous. For, the, for, for those who don't know who Bob Malcolm is, Bob, you think he's still kicking on. He's, he was, he's a Radio 4 uh, DJ, obviously, he used to be on um, Radio 4, uh, Matt 4, 4th 2, which used to be called uh, Max M, but uh, I think he's still kicking on. He's still bit, Probably, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Apology if, if you're listening, he's, uh, you're not dead, which is a good thing. <laughs> so. the, 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 interjecting there, the other person that I got really friendly with, who got very famous on Radio 4, was, was the late Tom Wilson. Oh, yeah, the brother to Scott Wilson. Scott Wilson. Yeah, yeah. Scott Wilson. Now, what, what, Tom used to run the Soul Nights. Mm-hmm. Now, where you, where, at the West End, where you've got the Rutland Hotel, yeah. below that, you know, you've got the little, the little function suite below 
called the Rotland Hotel next to Gilly Doo. Yes, I know you're right. Yes. Now, years ago, there used to be a club there called Oscars. Now, we're talking about 1982, 83. Right. Okay? And because I love my soul music, and my, 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 let's say generalization, Afro, Afro black Afro, African music, mm-hmm. um, I got got friendly, I got to know Tom. And I used to go on and do guest DJ, guest DJ spots at Oscars. Okay. And that was good because we used to have like personal opinion. I mean, we had, we had, I don't know if people might know the junior disco, we had a big hit with Mama used to say. Okay. He came up on a pain, we met him down there, he'd done, done, a, done a, a little uh, personal appearance at Oscars. And then we, we, at one point when Oscars closed, we then moved the Soul Club to the Northumberland Hotel, you know, on the way to Cranbourne Hotel, wow. on the left hand side. So the Soul Nights used to be really good, you know, and I got friendly with Tom, and it, and it was a very sad loss, you know, obviously when, when, he, when he passed away. Mm-hmm. So basically, Buster Brown's uh, what basically you kicked off there, and yeah, you got asked to join there. So how did how did that sort of develop? Well, what what happened was is, as I was DJing at the the place, mm-hmm. there was Mad Hatter's Disco that was just up from the Tron. Okay. I think I think at one point it was called Wee Windies. Okay, right. But it's, it's almost like opposite uh, Gordon Strateria, which Gordon Strateria is still there now. Uh, opposite there, you used to have, you used to have um, Manhattan's Disco. To the side upstairs, you had Manhattan's Speakeasy. Okay. And the guy that used to be the DJ in the Speakeasy was a guy called Neil Fincher. So I got friendly with Neil, and when I was still DJing at the place, the nights I wasn't working there, I used to go on and do guest DJ spots, and, and the, odd, the odd, not just guest DJ spots, but the odd residential night in the speakeasy, or actually upstairs in the main disco. And, and the people that used to own the, the disco, it was Arresta Tuesday, who used to own Chimes Casino in Royal Crescent. Wow, okay. Right? So I got friendly with his son Arresto, and, and uh, you know, that was that, that was that was good fun, Mad Hearts disco then we're talking now about 83 84 then one one night I was in the place and this guy walked in and he said oh I'm Ronnie McEwen and I went Ronnie McEwen and he says and then it suddenly clicked he was the older brother of Les McEwen from the basic rollers and Ronnie so happened to be the resident DJ in Buster Browns okay so he had heard good things about me because in the early 80s Radio Luxembourg mm-hmm. used to have what was called the Disco Mix Club. Right. Now, we're talking about the, the late 70s, early 80s, in, 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 especially in disco. The, the, the format of the 12-inch record was developed so that you could space out the music more on, on the track. Also, they put in extra long drum breaks for the 12-inch vinyl because in, in, the, in the States, they had what's called beat matching. Okay. So you, you, you ran the song and you synchronised the beats so there was no speaking with the DJ. It was continuous music. So Buster Browns brought brought in, you followed that, that, that format. And the thing about Buster Browns was they tried to emulate the door policy of Studio 54 where you had to be elite to get into the club. So you had the beautiful people of Edinburgh <laughs> literally lined, lined up along Market Street. You know, you had your hairdressers, your boutique shops and all that. You know what I mean? All the people that, 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 had, that had money lining up there to, to get in. And I actually was developed, because I've got, when it comes to music, I've got like a photographic memory. So I used to memorize the, the tunes. And I, I got into the beat match, and so, which got me into the, the disco mix club with Radio Luxembourg. 
So then, well, and that was good as well. That was that was fun. We had the awards ceremony, and there was Neil Finch and myself, arrest, uh, Raymond Tuesday, and a few others. We all went down to Edinburgh to Birmingham for the, the Disco Mix Awards in 1984. Got to meet Tony Prince and his wife. You know, Tony Prince was a, was a, was the the, the the royal ruler of uh, Radio Luxembourg, the main DJ then in the. The 70s, 90s. So, so far, people, this is extremely fascinating stuff. It proves that, I mean, for the sake of it, I was born in 1975. Uh, for the best part of it, I was only nine years old when this guy was in full swing of doing DJing and meeting all these fantastic, well famous people. You met Edward Starr as well, 1984. He's yeah. of war fame. You know, war, what was he good for? Wow. Because what had happened was Edward, Edward had come over to live in, in uh, England. Mm-hmm. I think, if I remember, it was Nottingham. I think he resided in. And he was like trying to revive his, two, his career so he was coming around doing PAs and he, he did a PA in Matt, Matt Hatterson around about 1984 so, got, so basically you from um, from joining uh, Buster Brown's and obviously uh, sort of with, with Ronnie McEwen um, the basic, obviously the guy from brother the Les McEwen basically rulers uh, how, I mean, how long were you at Buster Brown's for and then what, what did you do after Buster Brown what made you right. uh, where did your next step go alright ok well what happened was I mean obviously Buster's um, I, I was the resident DJ on a Friday night mm-hmm. and people that are old enough to remember will remember the original Buster Brown's had the egg the DJ was in the egg and the egg was sliced at a 45 degree angle at the front so you were in this, this thing you had your two SL1200 Technic decks, your mixer, and you had your vinyls. It was vinyl in those days, not CDs. So, because uh, CDs didn't come out to 1984. And that's another story because I actually got involved with the other record shops. So CDs came out in 1984? 1984 was wow. when CDs came out. About the first CD in 1990 or something? Uh, no, in 1984. <laughs> there, there's, a, there's, a, there's an offset in that story there because what happened was I was buying my vinyl at the other record shop. Now, the other record shop used to be around at St Mary's Okay. And then they moved round to the Royal Mile. So just up between St Mary's Street and the, the hotel in the, in the sort of middle area on the left-hand side. Uh, sorry, as you're going down the Royal Mile, just up from John Knox's opposite on the right-hand side, there was the other record shop. So I actually got a job in there as security, you know, <laughs> you, you know, on, on a Saturday. Uh, and, and the reason was that um, for the work I'd done in security, that offset towards my vinyl expenditure. Ah, right. Right? So I was helping it. And what was interesting there was, I always remember when, when we got the first series and we had this carousel, and it was like a hexagonal, so it's six sides, mm-hmm. and about maybe ten you know levels mm-hmm. so we're talking about 60 CDs all in all That's, wow. that was about the, the range that was available at the time but what was interesting was was how we were going to display them so I got this massive roll of, of cling film industrial cling film and a cardboard and a Stanley knife and I placed the CD in the middle sliced the, the cling film and then folded it carefully with no bubbles because right. you didn't have the automatic shrink wrap machine yeah. and then put each CD on, on, on the on the display so what did, what did, when series first came out obviously I, I never had a CD in 1984 I was like well I've never heard of a CD uh, so when, you, when they first started coming out I said my goodness what's this <laughs> oh well that, that was it because because it, I mean the thing is as well the, the, the technology like the CD players were quite expensive then yeah you know what I mean? I mean, I mean, I was a die-hard vinyl man. Yeah. I mean, at that time, um, we're now talking about when I got the. We were saying about when I left Buster Brown's. What happened was I met my 
my wife, my, my wife at the time, uh, on Buster Browns was actually getting closed to get refurbished. Okay. So we're talking December 85. And what happened was um, on the New Year's Eve, I, I met this, this woman, you know, stunned, you know, she was like five foot ten, redhead, you know, gorgeous. And I got talked to her, and I, you know, sometimes when you meet someone, you talk to them as if you've known them all your life. Mm -hmm. That was what it was like. And the girl that introduced us said to Glenda, was her name. She says, "I can't believe I've seen James talk to somebody as, as much as that." You know, and in actual fact, Sandy, Sandy was her name. She lived in Victoria Street, just up the road from my house at Upper Bow. So what happened was we took a detour after the club finished at four in the morning. Well, it was New Year's Day because uh, we'd seen in the New Year. Um, we, we took um, a detour, picked up a bottle of whiskey, and then went to Sandy's and carried on talking till eight in the morning. Wow! You know, eight in the morning. And I was just talking away. I didn't realise the time had flashed. And then I married her in uh, October '86. Mm -hmm. Now she worked in John Lewis, mm -hmm. and what was happening there was. We were like ships that passed the night. I was four nights a D uh -huh. DJ and she was four, working full time. So it was a bit like a taxi taxi driver yeah. working night shifts, you know. And I thought, right, if I want to make my marriage work, I'm going to have to chill, chill things a bit, you know. Mm -hmm. So I tried to get back into my trade for a wee while, you know, and, and cut right back on the DJ. And so I decided to, to leave Buster Browns at that time. Hello, were you still working for Aunties in these days? No, no, I, left, I, I actually left for Aunties uh, in 1985 to go DJing full time. Ah, right, so okay. So basically, it's so obviously, so you cut back your times, obviously, make, your, make things work with your marriage and things like that. Did that? Did it work? Did it? That? Well, what we found was that we, we decided, just through personal circumstances, because she was from Bristol, mm -hmm. that we should try a, a fresh start somewhere else. Okay. So we actually, we, by this time, we'd bought a, um, a property in Wrestlerig. Okay. Um, so I sold the flat, made a slight profit, and I took a gamble. I said, right, let's move down to Bristol, and we had made about four and a half thousand pound on the sale of the house. Mm -hmm. So we put that in the bank. Paid the deposit on a on, on a you know on a flat, got a short term lease, and then we just took it from there, and we moved down to Bristol in 1989. Okay. So, how long in Bristol for? Well, when I moved to Bristol in 1989, uh, we were together for a couple, and then it just we sort of grew apart. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, I still sort of still friendly with her to this day. I mean, she's still living in Bristol, but I didn't want any acrimony. Right. So we parted as friends mm -hmm. uh, in 1994. Okay. Right. So we was together with her until 1994. And then, this is where it gets quite interesting, was I decided, because I parted sort of maybe around about her birthday was me, we parted around about her birthday in 94. I decided that I was going to come back to Edinburgh on holiday August 94, which is festival time. Yeah. So, the guy, if you harken back to what I was talking earlier, Ozzy C, who was the DJ at the place, mm -hmm. but this time he had left the place and set up his own club. He'd run his own reggae club, Marley's Reggae Club. Mm -hmm. um, and he also he'd formed the Mambo Club, which now had been uh, residential at the Cavendish at Toll Cross in the, in the Function Suite next to the, the main disco. Okay. So I popped in to see him. You know, I said, hello, stranger. And he went, oh, man, he says, 
you know, I need, where have you been? I said, I've been in Bristol. He says, I need somebody with your knowledge, you know, music on, on the scene. I said, well, what do you want me to play? He says, well, anything. He says, you've got your African music. Because all this time, I've been buying all this music, still, well, and I've I, I developed a love for African music and world, what we now call world music. Mm. So when, when you were in Bristol, what did you do there for that day? What did you work as? Did you just do well, No, no, when, when I was, what happened was um, I started off working for a phone company okay. and fixing fax machines, believe it or not. Wow. Right? Okay, there are still fax machines on the go now, but there's a company called Beatacom Phone Mend. Um, and they were just based on the outskirts of Bristol. Then what happened there was Alan Sugar and Strad took over Beatacom Phone Men, consolidated, moved everybody to Romford Essex, and I was out of job. Yeah. But when we had originally had redundancies, uh, when it was Beatacom Phone Men, the guys who had left there went to P&O vending services. So, you know when you're on like the motorway, you get like the coffee machines and the, and the curly-whirly food yeah. chocolate bars? Yes. So that's what that's what Pino Vending done. They got taken over with by Granada Vending because then they got Granada Services. Mm -hmm. So I got a job there, and when I walked in for the interview, the guy said, "When can you start?" That was my interview. <laughs> I said, "What?" He says, "Oh, he says we've heard so so much good things about your technical ability." The guy he says, "I don't need to interview you." He says, "When can you start?" I said, "Oh, as soon as possible." So that's what I done. So you would have like working on the car, the world machine or the coffee machine. You would make a machine to a spec. So somebody might want two soups, one coffee, two teas, and then you have the one wheel drive, and you have what's called CNC, which is com computer numeric control. So that if you program the computer, it'll turn the one wheel so many seconds which allows through the coffee that for the strength. Ah. So, so for example, if you want it extra strong, the wheel will turn a wee bit longer, you let more coffee through, likewise with the sugar. So that's what it's called, it's called CNC, Computer Numeric Control. So I programmed all these little computers, so, so, and I built the, the actual machines, put in the, the canisters, like say if you wanted fizzy drinks, that sort of thing. Wow, so now you know people, now you know the, how, how the inside of a vending machine works. <laughs> so when you go get your coffee, you go, this coffee's crap. <laughs> Good grief, right? <laughs> so now you know. <laughs> so, um, so basically, you came back up for the festival in Edinburgh. Yeah, and, uh, I, saw, and I saw him, and he, and he said to me, he said, what are you doing these days? And I said, I'm, I'm in Bristol. So he said, oh, I'd love it if you were back here. I said, so I made a deal with him. I said, I'll tell you what then. I said, I'll come back, 1995, I'll come back for the festival. Mm -hmm. And I'll I'll do some DJing for you. So I brought some, but obviously by that time now we're talking CDs. I'd I'd, I'd actually sold. I had to sell my, my vinyl collection because it got too big. Oh. Um, I had about <laughs> this is what it gets fun. I had fifteen thousand albums. Fifteen thousand. Wow. And two hundred thousand singles. That's a lot. Of and, and 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 out and I had about. 7,012-inch singles, 7,012-inch singles, 200,000-inch singles, and um, like I say, 15,000 albums. And, and at one point I had to get builders in to reinforce the floor because I had a wall, literally a wall. I didn't, I, that was just a wall, floor to ceiling, about 25 feet long in this hallway was just vinyl. Wow. So, so when, it, when it comes to DJing, how did you, I mean, obviously you've got all these... Albums. Where did you pick your music for that night? How did you sort of write? I'll take this, this, and this. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, obviously, a lot of it. A lot of it. A lot of it is 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 in my catalogue. I mean, I mean, I'm talking about my collection. Then I've, I've got yeah. I've got a friend Alan who used to be 
DJing in the, the other record shop on a Saturday okay. doing, doing promotional material and Alan was actually the DJ at Murphy Leishink oh okay so I got I, I did a cut went, and he, he worked for Ferrantes as well he used to work out at um, Keith. no it's a tell I um, he, he was where was he he was one of the one. He was one of the one of the. the yeah, it was Del Keith. It was a Francis. I think it was a Del Keith. Um, yeah, I'm sure it was. But uh, yeah, he he was the resident DJ um, at the Moneyfield Ice Rink. Okay. And his his vinyl collection was even bigger than mine. You know, he he had a spare room in his house in Pennycook, where when you opened the bedroom door, it was a bed, it was meant to be a bedroom. When you opened the bedroom door, do you remember the little plastic? LP cases used to get yes, Fraser, right? right? Yeah. When you opened the door, all you saw was the handles of the cases on the side. <laughs> and, I, and I said to him, I said, what's this? And what he had done was he had started to put one in the corner, build it along the floor, up to the ceiling, and slowly worked his way back to the front door. And I said, that's just ridiculous. It's in there doing nothing. But then again, I was the same. Right. You know, a lot of your stuff... I mean, I'm here now in Granton. I've got a unit down in Granton Square, which is for storage for, from the right here, from my CDs and that. Wow. I mean, I've got CDs in the hallway there, which is what I call my working collection. Mm -hmm. But I've got thousands of CDs in, Grant, in the storage unit in Granton Grant Square. Oh, how often do you go down there and dig them out? Or do you yeah, yeah, they're just there. They're just there? It's part of the collection. I've got OCD. You know what I mean? OCD of CDs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally. Literally. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a compulsion. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, even now, the way circumstances are in Edinburgh, I'm maybe not DDing as much, but I'm yeah. still buying new music. I mean, I've just bought about, what, 20 odd albums in the last week? 20 odd albums? Wow. That's, yeah. that's, that's brilliant. Okay, so looking since, 19, well, obviously it was 1995, since you pretty much got back to Edinburgh, you started DJing again. Um, how, well, what happened was I came back in that year yeah, for the holiday. Just for the holiday, okay. Right? And the four weeks was a blast. But I mean, mm -hmm. the, the festival's buzzing, the city's buzzing. Yeah. So in a sense, it's a bit artificial because you've got a lot of transient population going through the... the, just, yeah. the but the main thing was, um, it, it, I thought, oh, this... Uh, it, it really thought, right, I've got to get back at this on a regular basis. So I said to Ozzy, I said... It gave you the bug. Ah, it gave me that buzz again. So I said, it was just always there, I just needed to be ignited. So I said, right, I said, what can you offer me? So he said, um, four, four nights a week. I said, okay. So that was it. I, I went back to Bristol, sold my flat, and I moved back, and I came back to Edinburgh in 1996. Okay. So from 1986, where did you kick off from there? Well, when, when I came back, I actually um, was working in the, in the place, uh, sorry, I was working in the Mambo Club mm -hmm. at, the, um, with Ozzy four nights a week. And that was doing R&B, soul, hip-hop, reggae, African, and Latin. Okay. So what we, we, by developing into, is that, so obviously that kicked, by Latin, that kicked off your kind of career now to where you are sort of now in the Latin industry? Well, there been, I mean, since I'd left Edinburgh, there have been a few clubs that come on the scene, like Club Latino and Misalsa. Okay. You know, because when I, when I was playing the odd Latin track back, back in the, the late 70s, mm -hmm. I was dropping them in as like on a mix, because remember I was talking about the continuous mix? Yeah, sure. So there'd be like a disco track on, and I would think, right, let's put some bongos in 
from Candido in there. Let's put some music from Tito Puente, Ray Barreto, you know, just dropping these, these samples in. So, so when did, uh, I suppose now, obviously for what James is mainly a sort of uh, a salsa DJ now, but when did you, the sort of salsa scene really kick off in Edinburgh? When did you start seeing it develop? Well, like, well, well general kind of stuff is around now. Well, at the time, we're, we're talking about 96, so around about 97, you had the Buena Vista Social Club. Okay. Right? Which was a phenomenon that was devised by Ry Kuda. Because Ry Kuda went to Cuba mm-hmm. and he got he had this idea of, of um, bringing together these old musicians to let people experience the music of Cuba, with Cuban song. Um, there was actually, in, the, in that initial recording session, there was three, three albums recorded at the Egram Studios in Cuba. Mm-hmm. The, there was a Buena Vista Social Club that was uh, presenting the, the Buena Vista All Stars, if I remember right, and there was another one uh, introducing Ruben Gonzalez. And Ruben Gonzalez at the time, I think he was something like 84 year old. Wow. Uh, oh no, he was in, he, I think he was, Ruben was maybe in his late 70s. You had Compay Segundo, who was like 84, you had Ibram Ferrer, and you had Omar Portundo and Cacao on the bass. There's all these marvellous Cuban musicians. So what happened there was, on the strength of that song, mm-hmm. and there's that album, that Buena Vista Social Club album, was released on World Circuit Records. Okay. And that, that just took off. That, that really took off. And people, you know, started getting more, it, it were getting more exposure. So people were then getting into the, you know, hearing the music more often. And then you had your, your, your pop coming, your, your Ricky Martins, you know, Ricky Inglese, mm-hmm. you know. So people were getting more into Latin music. Now, because I'd been DJing at the Mambo Club with, with a lot of music in that, we're now up to about 1998. And what happened there was, this guy called Chick Medley came over and he said to me, uh, look, we're opening up a new bar in Morrison Street. It's going to be Cuban oriented. I said, what, what's it called? He said, it's going to be called Cubanorti. I said, all right. I says, I says, do you want me to come in addition? And he said, no, no. He said, I just want to know if you want to be part of the team, the DJ team. Well, I says, yeah, sure. So, I remember the opening night was fantastic. We had Duncan and Shannon through from Glasgow on the opening night. There was um, Simon Hodge, who ran Cult Latino, was there. Uh, I was there. I wasn't DJ. We were just there. There was just the, the, the DJ doing the opening night was Shannon and Duncan. And they, they, at that time in Cuban art, we had a marvellous DJ rota. We actually had a rota. So each DJ, you could get a flavour of their take on, on Latin music. You weren't getting pigeonholed, it, just hearing the same DJ playing the same music okay. more or less all the time. And, and that was good. I mean, Cuban art was good. And then, you, obviously, Cuban art, you then had Baracoa opened in Victoria Street. Okay. Um, you also had Gaia. Um, I am just coming on the scene, and then we're talking about 1999, 2000. Uh, El Barrio opened at the Westport, okay. the original El Barrio. Yeah. So El Barrio, you know, that was ran by Hector, and it, you know, it, it was it was nice. It was called El Barrio, the Latin Quarter, you know, in, in the neighbourhood. So that that got a good following. And then we had uh, Piera and Romina, who were running Latin Explosion, still to this day. Mm-hmm. But Latin Explosion used to be in the top floor at the Mambo Club. 
And I always remember it was quite quite funny because through uh, getting talking about 1998, there was another interesting development. Mm -hmm. I used to buy my CDs at the Virgin Megastore, mm -hmm. and I went on Monday, and the girl said to me, uh, "Manager wants to see you." I said, "What about?" She said, "Well, you know, uh, just go and have a word with And I said, what, you want to see me with that sort of He said, no, no, he said, I think it would be good news. <laughs> I said, what is it? He says, you come in here and you ask for all this music and this stuff, I haven't got, got a clue. He says, you actually take over the keyboard and type in the search because they don't know how to spell it. He says, how would you like a job in the store? I said, doing what? He said, well, because of your age, you have a good knowledge, you're easy listening. Mm -hmm. He said, but we'd like you to obviously run the world music section and because you love your jazz, you said the jazz, the blues, and the country. So I was responsible for the country, the blues, the jazz, the easy listening, and the world music. That was that was my responsibility. And I was there. I was there from the Virgin Megastore from 1998 to 2007. Oh, a long time. So obviously, that. So you had me full time there, or you just take no, no, full time, full time, full time. You are DJing at the same time. I still done it. What happened was I used to have a late start in the Virgin Megastore. Okay. So I got I'd finish. You know, I'd be at a late start, finish, close up the shop. You know. And then you go straight to DJ. And then I, I didn't. I'm one of these people. I'm lucky, Fraser. I don't need much sleep. Okay. You know. So. Uh, <laughs> Keep going. So how did you, um, obviously you were DJing Kibonori at the time, so how, when did you leave Kibonori and where did you go from there? So? Well, at the same time as Kibonori, we're now moving on to around about 2000, okay? Okay. So if I remember, I was still involved with Kibonori at that, that, that time, okay. but there's developments where um, there was Keith Miller, who now is... DJ at Harry's Bar okay, Keith. Okay. Keith Miller and a guy called Keith Denny who originally was from Glasgow mm -hmm. um, so did Keith Miller in fact at that time but we decided to um, start a Friday night called it Salsa Friday at the Merlin okay Okay. so so the Merlin the Merlin's been running now let's see the Friday night I think it's I think it's come up for like 12 years now wow right um, we also started running the Salsa Sunday, but the Salsa Sunday started after, uh, you'll probably remember this, Salsa Romantica. Yes. At Eagle. Yes. Uh, uh, opposite the Omni Centre. Now, that was a guy called Paul Holmkey that ran that. Yeah. And Paul used to have, once a month, Salsa Romantica, and I was one of the DJs, resident DJ, along with Nana Fernandez okay. and Do George Donahue, before he was Dr. Salsa. <laughs> okay. Now, there's an interesting story there, because what happened was, when I was in the Virgin Megastore, mm -hmm. there was one Saturday, it's about six of my men, um, this guy came up, and you had the header boards for the CDs, mm -hmm. and there was a Latin artist called Wayne Gorbea, mm -hmm. and he just brought out his first UK album. Now, you have to understand, normally, the selection of music that's available for anybody, as a DJ, you'd have to buy imports. Mm -hmm. But now and again, you get the odd gem that it's a UK release. So this was a cracking album, Kugle El Gusto, for, and it was Wayne Gorbea. And I had the headerboard, and this guy came up with the headerboard and says, have you got this artist? I says, great choice. I says, your, your timing's wrong, we just sold out. But, I says, I'll tell you what I'll do. Where do you live? He says, oh, I live in Glasgow. 
I said, I'll phone Buchanan Street. So I phoned Buchanan Street. They had a copy in stock. Well, I got them to put it aside. I said, what's your name? He says, oh, it's Keith Denny. And that was where I met Keith. So we got talking. And he said, oh, he says, I'm the DJ in Havana in Hope Street in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. I said, all right. He said, who are you the DJ with? He says, oh, a guy called Alexis and another guy called George Donahue. I said, all right. I said, are you doing it? She said, no, not doing it that long. And this is about 2000. This was, this was, this was 2000. Okay. Um, and I remember the week after that, I was at Latin Explosion, mm-hmm. and I got, a, I got a call to come down to the front door. She says, there's a guy here with some CDs um, wanting to speak to you. And it was George Donahue. He'd come through from Glasgow. Okay. And he had his little case. At that time, we only had one little case. And I said, uh, all right. He said, I'm a friend of Keith Denny's. I said, all right. He says, I wonder if I could have a, you know, come and have a shot. I thought, well, just made the effort, why not? So we got him up, we got him on the decks. And I always remember there was Simon Hodge, Nana Fernandez and myself standing next. And at the time, there was a group, group from Colombia called Sonora Caracelis. It was massive. Everybody was playing Caracelis. So George put on Caracelis and he was all excited behind the DJ booth <laughs> doing all the, all, all the gesticulations. And we looked at each other and we said, what do you think? He says, yeah, he's got potential. <laughs> <laughs> and of course he's now Dr. Salsa you know he's sort of a mainstay living in Leeds mainstay in the Leeds and he comes up and does a Salsa Congress wow fantastic so it's I'm just looking at my notes here um, we're, we're basically doing Keith Miller doing that doing Keith Miller doing and you started up the Merlin Merlin so um, so you also you did a lot of DJing at which is Medina that's, yeah that's well, well what happened there with, with Medina that, that's an interesting story as well we were there for a long so, time so well I ran I ran the Monday night at Medina for 11 years 11 and 3 quarter months 11 years to, and, and, and uh, to, it, Nine months, ten months, eleven years, ten months at Medina, and we'd been at Ponanana. And back, where, how that got started, there was a, a great teacher called Fiona Blair, okay. and she was teaching this class. And the guy that was the manager of Medina was called Lewis, mm-hmm. and it so happened that his mum was doing dance classes with Fiona. Okay, and the Monday night. Um, you know, they were looking for some something to do on a Monday night because Monday night's not normally a very busy night of the week. Mm-hmm. And Lewis had said to his mum, I'm racking my brains, I'm trying to think. She said, why don't you have a salsa in? He says, well, I've never thought of that. What, what could you say? She said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll have a word with my teacher, Fiona. So I got a call from Fiona saying, look, there's a possibility of a, a Monday night salsa night starting. They want me to be the teacher, but I can't do it, but they want me to recommend a DJ, and I, I thought of you straight away. So I went out of work with Lewis, he said, yeah, okay, and we came to an arrangement. And initially, um, you know, we were, we were searching for teachers, and there was a guy called Peter, who was a tall skinny guy, Peter, he's, he's no longer teaching, but he was initially done it for a, a few weeks. And we tried it at various teachers in the, in the circuit, and eventually, um, Janice Wardlow became the resident teacher, and Janice now teaches at Harley's Bar on a Wednesday. So I think Janice was there for sort of like seven years. Okay. So I was going to say, you, when, you, when did you leave Kubernetes? How did you eventually just be obviously instead of change hands, different DJing? And when did you, well, obviously the kind of well, transition well, of. Well, there was a, in Kubernetes, there was a transition from the DJ rota yeah. to all of a sudden, over so many months, you found you weren't getting asked to DJ as much. Right. I, 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 I can't, it's not something I really want to go into. Right, okay. I, 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 it's obviously something, you, if you don't want to talk about it, it's not a problem. Right, 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 but let's yeah. just say, Q 
people are deciding to go down the pathway of sort of just relying on like one DJ. Right, okay. You know, I, I thought that was a mistake. Right, okay. I personally thought variety was a spice of life. Okay. But that, um, that's that's a that's, mm-hmm. that's a subject. You know, that's 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 history now. Yeah. Anyway. So with um, so over your year, obviously before talk, going back to we'll go back to the Medina. Uh, over the years of just getting into, what have you? What, how, with the salsa, okay, maybe just going forward a bit and then we'll backtrack. With the sort of general salsa scene now in Edinburgh, how over since it started into present day, mm-hmm. what what's your verdict on it? Has it been sort of is it? Is oh, it def- there was definitely a I was definitely saying there's a peak right about 2006, 2007. And would you say it's kind of what's it? Where would you say it's now? Or what would you? I would I would I would say this is just my my opinion. Mm-hmm. I would say in terms of a, a, a proper salsa night um, you know you, you, there's variations of it I would, I, I would say it, it's it's slowly shrinking okay that, that's my feeling it's, it's, it's slowly shrinking I mean thankfully you've got Harry's Bar on the Wednesday night mm-hmm. which which is a regular night you're going to hear about maybe 90% salsa to 10% bachata okay other venues will maybe go the other way around you might hear 80% bachata to 10% salsa okay and then you'll hear other venues that'll have a little bit of salsa a little bit of bachata but a lot of more what Latin pop, okay. and I think they're going. I think they're going for that crossover audience, mm-hmm. you know. So the 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 the, the chances to dance to a proper salsa night on its own are, are, are few and far between. What would you say the What would you say? The, what would you say the problem is with the, it's sort of shrinking? What would you say it's kind of what's the what's what's maybe the cause? I think I, I, I think there's a, I, I think there's a lack of cooperation between the, the organisers. Do you think there's too many organisers now? Is it kind of become a saturated market? And maybe I, there's. I, I think there is. I mean, there was a there was a phase where people were going and learning how to dance. Mm-hmm. After doing a few dance classes, thought I could be a teacher. Yeah. And then start their own class, or likewise, um, you know, they think they can be a DJ. I mean, there's more to being a DJ than putting DJ before your name. Very true, very true. You know, obviously, with it, you're getting for the experience you've been doing since you're a dot and now you're. Well, yeah, no, I, mean, there, you're I mean, I mean, well, let's put this way: May, May next year will be 39 years. 39 years, because you can't buy that. You can't, the experience you got, you can't buy that experience. No. You, you, it's something that's going to be built over time, and obviously, the people who are trying it now. Mm-hmm. What, would you, what, would you, what advice would you give to? maybe people who are wanting to develop into doing DJing work mm-hmm. what would you what advice would you give them uh, if they're starting out what, how do right. you... well certainly I mean obviously a love of music in the first place is good there's nothing better than the buzz of especially if it's a new song okay. you know if you hear a new song after I mean I've got I've got like a radar now for it I can hear a song and within 30 seconds mm-hmm. and I mean most people said to me because you're, you're DJing a lot in, in, in Latin music do you actually speak Spanish and to, to my shame I, I say no I haven't learned Spanish <laughs> but there's something inside that clicks right. I can hear a song and within 30 seconds Seconds, I think that's going to work. That's going to be a great song. Okay. And and that's the thing. When you play something brand new that nobody else has heard, mm-hmm. and you see the reaction on the dance floor. I mean, I, I've, I've DJed down at, at Breen in Bristol, mm-hmm. and to, to see that was a, a, that was back in 2004, 2005. You know, to see nearly 1,500, 2,000 people on the dance floor dancing in your tune. You know, I mean, that's 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 a real buzz. 
So, so obviously, as for people who are looking to get into DJing work, you're, if you want to, any, if people were to maybe come to you for advice, how would they be able to get in contact with you? How would they, if people want to find, well, I mean, find they, you playing, where would they, where would they find you? Right. If they wanted to say, I want to learn your, learn what you've got, how right. do I learn? Well, you, you could, I mean, obviously, you could, you could see me. I'm on Facebook. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't mind getting anybody messaging me. I'm, I'm, I'm all for, you know, bringing on the next generation. And uh, you know, looking at Edinburgh at the moment, we, we've got some nice young DJs. You know, there's there's um, Stalin, Santana. You know, uh, Alex's son. There's uh, Raul Tigre, you know, Alex's brother, you know what I mean? There's the, the guys that are um, re resident at El Barrio, you know what I mean? There's a new generation, and they're adapting to that demand for the type of music that people want to dance to. Okay. You know, as long as the heart's in the right place, if, you, if your motivation is right, true for the music, you know, some people are never in it for the money. Okay. And, and what, I, what I would say as a DJ, is yes, you have the love of the music, but don't just play a tune because you like it. Right. You know, you have to look at the dance floor. If you play a tune and that clears the dance floor, <laughs> right, then you've got to say, right, to, to, you know, to, to, what do you do next? So you've got to, you, there's always got to have a, like a little hit list in your head, recognising what works on the dance floor, so that you, you can, you've got that. Now here's a, here's a little tr trade secret, right? People have a biorhythm, right? In 60 minutes, you have two peaks and one trough. It works on a 20 minute cycle. So you go up 20 minutes, down 20 minutes, up 20 minutes, right? As a DJ, it's a bit like getting in sync with a crowd. And you've got to do that in that sort of three or four hours that you're in the gig, in that environment. As a guest DJ, it's even a shorter time. But what you do is, you bring somebody up, you take them down. You bring them up, you take them down. You're on that cycle. You can't take somebody up and keep them at that level sustained unless they're chemically <laughs> induced. Welcome to your Friday night floor, floor fillers. Oh, the floor's empty. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, if you were if you were putting on uh, banging tune after banging tune, regardless of genre, yeah. if you were putting on banging tune after banging tune after banging tune, yeah. after a certain time, unless they're being chemically stimulated, yeah. Right, or they're, they're one of these unusual people that's just got endorphins that just re, you know they, they just go. Normally, after three or four songs, people go, "I've got to take a breather." Right. You know, that's why in a, that's why in the salsa night you'll hear maybe a slower salsa or salsa matica. It builds up to a really fast salsa dura, and then bang, you hear a bachata. That bachata is there to give you a breather to take you down. So wow. So, so basically, so going back to. Go back to Medina. Your your time there, obviously, you know, uh, nearly ten years or so now. Uh, what was I mean your highlights and lows of that DJing there? What did you? How, how did you find it yourself? I mean, DJing. Oh, the the, the, the Monday night, the Monday nights Monday were all, were Monday, nights, Monday, yeah. Monday nights were almost like an institution. Yeah. Right. And in, and in fact, myself as an individual, I took it so personal about the Monday nights that in terms of personal holidays, in the in the ten years, in the other sorry, eleven years, yeah, it was nearly twelve. Years, 11 years and 10 months I was there, I officially only had two holidays. Wow. And I had people, you know, cover me when those holidays, without naming names, when I came back for the holidays, people said, uh, don't go on holiday again. 
So thanks, thanks for but, standing, but the yeah, crap. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not going to name names <laughs> who covered for me, but you know, um, what, what was what was interesting was, um, you know, you, 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 I think people take it for granted. Like Nick Child, who used to run Salsa, you yeah. know, the the Salsa newsletter, he used to say, I think people take it for granted. They come in week in week out, and you're yeah. behind the decks. Exactly. You know? But uh, yeah, it was it was it was great fun. So what, why did that eventually come to an end? Or what? Well, what happened there was um, the Medina was bought over by a company called the Third Door, mm-hmm. and the Third Door um, they weren't in tune. The management in Medina were brilliant, mm-hmm. but the Third Door management straight away they imposed the door charge because we used to have free entry, mm-hmm. right? Um, and a lot of people, uh, you know, it, it went out, It started off at two pounds. And we still kept the numbers, and then it went up to three pound. And then people were saying it's went up by fifty percent. I said, but you're playing with numbers. It's still only three pound, right. and you were getting from because because what happened was it went from like ten till three every week. Then it went ten till two, ten till half one, ten till one. And so, uh, whether it's whether it's to do with the financial economics of you know because people don't have as much money to go around yeah, you know you can see yourself in general you know even now when, when you're going home from night getting a taxi you would see less people on the streets at one o'clock in the morning you know on a Monday night you know I think there's just less money about for people to go out we're saving the money for maybe another night of the week mm-hmm. so when that obviously now obviously third door's now um, that's now defunct because what happened was it, the, that got bought over by Bateco okay. so Bateco is now running running the event so it's now back to South Salsa again it's South well Salsa it's Salsa it's, oh. it's a debatable discussion about Bateco because I think their heart's in the right place but um, what can we what can we say um, great idea poor execution right okay so that's my that's my opinion okay right. what, what, what could you what could you do better do you think well I mean I mean their, their, their take on it is they're going for that crossover audience again okay. right. so they've got two floors but once again, it seems to be they've followed the Cubanotti route where they're relying on just a couple of DJs, right. you know, that seem to now have a monopoly. Okay. So where, where are you, so at present day, where are you DJing now? What are you doing? Right, what I'm doing now is there's a new bar opened in George Street, Iguanas, Las Iguanas, which is near the Charlotte Square end, mm-hmm. okay? Right at the end of the street, actually. Uh, Charlotte, next to Charlotte yeah, That used to be the American travel agency. Something, something like that, yeah. yeah. Long time okay. Ago. Now, the, the guys from uh, If You Walk, You Can Dance, that's Alex uh, Elgato and Laura um, Tigarona, they, they are now, uh, they, they, they opened it up, they did a launch night on Halloween. Okay. And during the Saturdays in December, they're going to have a, a Latin salsa, Latin party night. And those guys, uh, they're well known from the wash bar on the Sunday, and they've also got a connection with El Barrio. So they've got a good following, so it's a good base. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a bit, it's, it's a bit like La Tasca, I think it's going to have to bed in, because with La Tasca, that was run at Charlotte Square, we, we had diners on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. And the Friday, we had to wait till they finished dining yeah. to move to create, create move the, the tables to create a dance floor. So I think it's a, a learning process just now with Guinness, but it's got potential. Really got potential. What do you do? You think Edinburgh? What do you think Edinburgh lacks? Do you think it's a, it's not the best place for venues for these kind of things? Or do you think it's a lack? Is it good for venues or lacks venues? Well, the, the, probably the best venue for dance floor mm. is Fiesta Latina in Tivia. Tivia, they've got a wonderful wooden floor. Right. Um, once again, 
I would like to see with TV uh, probably a bit more variety in, 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 the, in, in the DJ in a sort of DJ rota. Okay. Because it, it's the same people that are like linked. You know, that seem to have this monopoly that are, okay. and, and, and what's, what's, this is my take on it. What's, what I find interesting is mm -hmm. that a teacher, if, if, you, if somebody goes to learn salsa, it's, it's just my take on it. it. Some people are very protective. They only want you to go to their class. They won't want to expose you to maybe another teacher or hear another DJ. You know what I mean? So, so there's this sort of protecting your own little empire mentality that it would be great if that was, you know, we, we, we got more of it. To me, basically, I look on salsa as a dysfunctional family. Okay, so it's not. Would you, what would you, to get salsa peaking again, mm -hmm. what would you recommend, or what would, you, what would your opinion be on that to help get it back to when it maybe once was? Well, I would like to see all the organisers try and have a meeting. Yeah, and 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 be an, an honest and open meeting, mm -hmm. and sit around the table and thrash it out. Because yeah. I don't think it's for the good of it. Because if you look at the, the dance community, mm -hmm. and then you 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 see how many people are fighting for that share of the pie, True. especially when you when they're on the same night. Exactly. You know, I mean, on a Sunday night, you've got a new night at Constitution Street. Mm -hmm. You've got the wash bar that's established for years, and then you had another somebody try to set up a Sunday night. Uh, um, well, there's there's the, the, the university Saturday night at City Cafe. There's three nights, three three on the same night. Yeah. And then you had another person doing a, a one-off Sunday night at the uh, class. At one time you had four nights. So four, four, uh, four, 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 four gigs on the same night. I mean, it's not fair to the dancers to, to put them in that spot. It's right, true. I think. I mean, I personally, I mean, I, I mean, but I started doing salsa in sort of 2001. Um, I'm very average, to say the least. I look at people and they're, <laughs> and, and people look at me thinking, crap. And so I know that because <laughs> I'm, and I wouldn't say I'm that good because there's a lot of dancers who can dance extremely well, probably to your sort of strictly come dancing um, stage. I don't know if that's good or bad, but uh, you can, <laughs> you know what's good or bad. Because uh, you've been around the scene for long. Um, I mean, personally, what I've experienced, I would say yes, it's, it is a bit too saturated. The, there's too many things going there's on. There's too, too much going on. And it's, I think maybe, maybe, do you think people are getting a little bit greedy or trying to think, trying to tap into a market? It's not. That would involve me having an insight into the, the, okay. the, their mind. <laughs> but I do, once again, it's only my, my take. Yeah. I do, I do think sometimes that there's too many classes. You know, because there's all these people learning these classes, and you say, "Well, what are you learning for?" Because you know, what is people's motivation for getting into dancing? Is it to treat it like a, a social event and meet new friends? Is it to treat it like a, a night class? Mm -hmm. You know, in the old days, people used to get into dancing so they could get taken on the social dancing scene, and, and the teachers used to encourage people to go out socially dancing. Mm -hmm. You know, but people used to sort of come on leaps and bounds in the social dancing. Mm -hmm. But if you're looking on somebody coming in week in week out as a, as a source of financial revenue do you, really, do you really want them to advance so you lose that £5 a week off them? True, exactly you know what I mean? I mean people I, I, people might think that's a bit of a controversial statement you know questioning people's beliefs for, for the for the dancing you know I'm sure there's one or two teachers out there you know they want to bring people into the Latin culture and that's a, there's a whole debate there's a debate on the, on the web on Facebook just now there's a website called Salsa Hackers yeah. where there's people asking 
asking what what you know when people get into dancing, do they actually learn anything about the Latin culture? Do they learn anything about the, the history of the music? Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had I've had people I've been. I, I've been playing and we've got the obviously we've got the, the genres of the camps we've got the Cuban style dancing we've got the cross body style dance now if you put on a night where Cuban's in the title you probably won't get the cross body because they think it's going to be a Cuban night okay. right I've had, I've had people where I've been DJing and people that are Cuban dancers are dancing it's not Cuban music I'm playing mm -hmm. but they've adapted their style Jeez. and somebody who's cross body will come over to me and say can you put on something not Cuban and I've said I haven't played any Cuban music all night <laughs> that to me is just displaying a complete ignorance yeah. of, of the even the music do you think? Do you think a lot of the people, the teachers, that should maybe do instead of doing self lessons, do like a sort of a, a night where they can actually teach people the backgrounds of all these kind of things? It would be, it'd be nice. You, 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 so, you know, I mean, I could give you a little. I'll give you a brief little snapshot of history. Okay. Right, the slave trade. You took your people from Africa, Central Africa, West Africa. Mm -hmm. Right, that slave route went on to Cape Verde and then on, on to the Caribbean, okay? okay? So your Cuban song, your African rumba, right? That origins is the rumba in, in, in Africa, okay. right? Now, when you, when you see in Cuba, when you see a girl dancing the rumba where she's got a skirt and she's, she's, doing, she's done, moving the skirt like that, that's actually, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's almost like a mating ritual. She, the, the guys that are watching, she's being flirtatious. Ah, right, so. so it's a flirtatious that dance there that the movement and then the singular movement of the body to, and then you get the guys dance like peacocks to show off so we're going down to basic biology the guys want to show off so if you'll pick her then when she approaches him she flicks by the dress to say no you know what I mean? So, so that's the what you know. That's just a little bit into the origins of like a, a, a rumba. You know, watching somebody somebody dance like that, people just say, "What's well, people dancing?" You don't know what what's the motivation behind that dance. Why they're dancing like that? You know, and there's there's whole whole genres of music that are being missed at the moment. You know, like from Latin America, there's the valenetto, there's the, the cumbia. You know, the cumbia was very big. Back in the early noughties, you know, mm -hmm. and that's an easy, that's a quite neat, it's a nice open rhythm, you know, people can dance to that. You know, there's a bachata that's come on just now, there's a whole debate just now about is it traditional Dominican bachata, is it San bachata moderna, is it bachata sensual, you know, how, how it's been adapted. And I've had discussions with people that are Latinos, I've said to them, how do you feel about your music being hijacked? Because what's happening is music coming over. I mean, I've I've had a, I've had somebody who's white in Scotland tell one of my Latino friends you're not dancing properly. <laughs> because what they're talking about, they're all about technique. I say it's not about technique. It's about feeling music. It's about the musicality. It's about feeling the music and moving the time of the music. It's not about going home and hearing the same song time after time after time and developing a technique and a choreography so you can show off like a peacock on the dance floor. So, when, so you're thinking I'm sat there waiting on that I'm sat there waiting on that song so that I can show up and then you put on a banging new tune they can't dance it because they don't know how to interpret the music the, the Latin music's got a structure you know you have, you have a, a, the, 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 the Montuno with the piano then you have the choro with the, with the back 
sequencing is coming in. And if you know the basic fundamentals of, a, of you know of the, the four bar rhythm or whatever, whatever type of music, you understand the basics and know your music. That's what a tip to a DJ. Know your music. Mm-hmm. You know, you might have a DJ that goes off dancing while the, while the tunes play. You know, they've got to know when the song's going to going to finish, so they can get back in time to play. There's no point in the music cutting off and go, oh wait a minute, running back to dance. Exactly. You know. So it's all, so it's <laughs> I went off on a rant there. No, 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 no. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good to know. It's, it's, a, it's for people who don't know. I mean, we, okay, would you ever, with, with the sort of salsa scene, it's sort of on a sort of, it's a shaky ground at the moment as, you, as, you, as you've sort of. You, it's I'm sure, I'm sure it'll oh, still continue. Trend tr- 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 along. Yeah. yeah. Would you ever go back to your sort of general music playing again, or you, was that kind of. Well, I mean, the thing is, my, my other love, you know, I love music in general, but African music, mm-hmm. okay? So I've been doing some work with Sam Basin, you know, being, being a DJ with his night. So, like last year, earlier on this year, a DJ at the Senegalese Independence Day okay. playing African music. And then there's an organisation called Be, uh, Be United, which is doing work with African um, societies in Edinburgh. So, um, I, I, did a, I did a night with them, uh, and that was at Kirkerfield Parish Church, okay. down at Ple- Pleasance. So there's another one lined up, and then I just feel at the moment in Edinburgh, African music is solely, uh, you know, it's not being it's not being exposed. It's, it's underexposed. Well, probably we could talk about it later because I, I, I was at the Uganda Independence Day party in October. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Obviously, it was a bit rushed. They rushed or lately organised it. And it was, and I said, well, we, and I'd like to help them to make it better and do yeah. it for next year. And obviously, they're playing African music and it's it's really great. It's good music and it's nice. So uh, it's it's they play. It's also you can ad- adapt it to uh, mm-hmm. all sorts of like a little bit of styles of dancing, which is it's good. It's nice stuff and it's that was fun to go. It's not just uh, these all these all these independence day parties. I suppose all the communities in, in Edinburgh mm-hmm. they all sort of help each other out and they go to their each each independence. Well, I can, give you, I can give you a little heads up here. Okay, so for 2015, mm-hmm. um, Sam had a um, an African night called Nadaji. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we, we used to run that down the little city calf, not the city calf in in uh, Blair Street, but uh, Circus Calf in St Mary Street. Mm-hmm. Okay, now Saturday night. Now we've booked the mash house at the Cowgate mm-hmm. for the 20th of February, the 20th of March, and the 17th of April. Well, so that'll be possibly a live band plus uh, African D- DJ and African music. Well, that'll be good. So that, that's three three dates for the calendar. So we've got heads up, people, for all you uh, for people who I'm going to publicise this in, to the Uganda Independence Day page and Facebook. There's um, if you're interested, you, at least you've got a heads up if you want to get an African night for 2015. You. So, so there we go, 20th of February, 20th of March and the 17th of April, okay? We're just we're just waiting to finalise the contract. So provisional dates, but we're waiting to, wait to finalise the contract. Yeah, if you're interested in a night out and an African style, here's a few dates will be published on the Hatrick and Ramsey uh, Unleashed Facebook. And I'll, I'll publicise it on my on my Facebook and, and okay. post it as well. So uh, just to wrap things up, so we want to say thank you. Um, it's been a very very intriguing interview from uh, Mr James Combe, a long-serving DJ to Edinburgh. Uh, <coughs> you'll be feeling a lot more nostalgic and. Remembering all these wonderful club names and um, basically from when you used to do clubbing in your days. 
Um, but just, I was going to ask you the second another question here. What, uh, what do you think of the music when you listen to music now, mm-hmm. from just general music, and what's your from when in music to then? Mm-hmm. What's your verdict of is music just getting churned out too much these days? Well, I, think, I of, think I think how people are exposed to music is a lot different. Mm-hmm. I mean. If we go right back, I'll take you to a quick evolution. If we go right back to the 70s, mm-hmm. I, I, I can remember going into the, the, this record shop and just that action of going, and you, you, you'll see it now. If you go like, to the record fair at Charlotte Square when it's on or Chamber Street, mm-hmm. you'll see collectors in there. That buzz of just going through the, 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 the racks of vinyl, you know, and it being be like a plastic cover and you pull it out and you, you know, you look. That's why in a sense with CDs, they now have like, some of them have like the little mini LP covers, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like Led Zeppelin done that, you know, they brought out the whole back catalogue and they were like little mini LPs, you know, we, we, obviously with micro sort of writing. But that, that thing about going in and being tactile and picking up the music and going to the record shop, even going to the record, I used to go into the record booth, my, my first record, right? 1965, the, the, the Monkeys, I'm a Believer. That was the first record I bought. Wow, 1965. Right? And I remember, I remember there was a record shop uh, at, at Bread Street, just opposite where the cinema was at the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, and you went in, in those days you had the, the booth. Mm-hmm. You took your record to the guy behind the counter, you put on one of the record players and you'd say booth number two, you go in and put the headphones on and listen to the song. That was, that was how you got, you got your music. So the, that tactile thing of picking up something, going to the shop, listening to it, buying it, going home, putting on your record player, brilliant. Now, you, then it went to CDs, now you've got the fact that everything's on download, mm-hmm. right? So hence the fact that independent record shops are slowly shrinking. shrinking. Even major record shops, you know, everybody, it's all on download, okay? And YouTube, you know, you can just put a search in, and that's, that's another thing, right? All my music, I buy all my music, mm-hmm. right? I don't believe in this, go to YouTube, download the video, convert it into an MP3, and then, and then play it. How, how is that supporting the musicians? True. Right? Those musicians provide the music for you to dance to, mm-hmm. right? Um, if, if you don't pay for it, who pays them for them to carry on making music? What's your verdict on, say, obviously, what's your verdict on like, shows like The X Factor these days? Obviously, they're turning out stars and bringing out for the beat. It's been going for over 10 years now. What's your sort of well, verdict on these, these kind of shows? Well, in, in a sense, I, I still feel I'm old school. I still think you should work your dues. I mean, fair play to the kids that want to put themselves forward, but they have to realise the music industry is a tough business. Mm-hmm. They're going to get chewed up and spat out. Now, you only got to look, you're sitting there over 10 years. Just look at, at who's actually lasted the piece we want to lose right mm-hmm. the only, if somebody said to me who's still in the, in, 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 the, in the you know doing well in the music business from the X Factor Ollie Murs Ollie Murs never won it but he's, he, he's, he's done GLS you know you know what I mean they never won it but yeah what do you think Alexander Burke she sort of went to her peak and she's kind of thinking yeah, yeah so you don't hear about her uh, she's sort of more game shows and things like that probably that yeah. kind of thing so huh? uh, what do you think have you been watching do you follow it at all I don't I've not watched yet expected for the last three years <laughs> uh, I mean for me personally I I didn't I watched this sort of last year I didn't watch it the year before mm-hmm. I mean you seem to be getting some of the stars like there's Ella Henderson seems to be coming no. she's quite so is it Sam Smith Sam Smith uh, there's yeah. quite a few guys yeah, I, sort of yeah. coming through 
or even though they didn't they weren't uh-huh. close to winning they were actually quite went out early but they seem to have developed it seems, but they seem to they disappear and they get the years sort of publicity if they win it what I, what I did like talking about sort of musing so what I did like was the idea of the voice where the judges based on the voice based on the voice not on the, on the, on the look and I know that in this marketplace mm-hmm. it's all about the, the package the image yes. as, as well but yeah. Have you seen? Well, obviously, recently the current favourite to win is Flora East. She's basically well, just on Sunday there. Her performance got to number one on iTunes charts. Uh, just with right. that's just proves that she's obviously got the the full package. I think she's probably more likely to win it. Probably, yeah. probably obviously, not worse. You don't know, but uh, I mean, I mean, if you think yeah. about the whole backlash, I mean, I know, I mean, obviously, yeah. it's time so that the winner has the Christmas not tries to get Christmas number one. If you remember a couple of years ago yeah. Yeah. when. When the, the, when, the, when, the, when the backlash to the, the yeah. X Factor. Yeah, remember that Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I suppose, yeah, it's, I suppose I think it is a, I think it's probably. It's I'll tell you what I've done recently myself. Mm-hmm. I've got a couple of Latin friends, they're musicians. Mm-hmm. There's a guy called Dorrance Lanza, he's from Colombia, mm-hmm. he's based in London, plays the vibes, so it's in the old school style of like Cal Chader and um, uh, Joe Cuba, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, that's the, the, yeah, and, and he's actually got a new album in, in the making. And he and he texts me. He says, "James, could you know I'm, I'm trying to get the money together to finish my album." Mm-hmm. So so I sent him a donation ten pound. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I put a post on Facebook saying, "Look, this guy makes brilliant music. He's, he's on his fifth album now. It's near completion. You know, here's his contact details. Please contact him." I mean, I and the way he was wanting it was to buy his, his old album, which has been repackaged, which I already got. So I've got two copies of the same album. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But I thought, you know, I, I'll, I'll gladly do that because, you know, you've got to help these guys. Yeah, exactly. Well, I want to say thank you for the time. Thank All you right. for, for people who see James week in week out behind the decks uh, pumping out the music and making you have fun while he's sweating his ass off behind the decks well I'll be, I'll be, I'll be at the, uh, Boxing Day I'll be at Berlin Boxing Day Berlin people okay. next time you see him and then Hugman I'll be at Iguanas Iguanas and Georgia okay. there's a possibility I may be at Iguanas maybe uh, Saturday the 20th I'm not sure ok ok so on future days if you want to hear James you want to do a bit of salsa dancing you want to learn uh, some salsa you want to listen to just to the tunes that he's pumping out go for it but you'll hear you'll hear, you'll hear salsa across the Latin spectrum okay. so you'll hear Cuban and you'll hear yeah. you know, you'll get exposed to what I consider as the best going around at the moment so basically just to summarise what would you say over your career of the best part of 39 years nearly 40 years what is your highlight <laughs> well um it's probably been a, I mean, it's probably been a couple of highlights. You know, I mean, I'm, I've, I've met one or two people at the beginning of their career. I mean, night, night, I, 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 one of the things that sticks in mind was 1984. Uh, I went down to London with a couple of friends, and we went around the square in London where all the record companies are. Mm. We went in the Tamma Motown's office, and the guy there, because it was still videos, mm. right? And the guy, uh, this, it was actually Tom Wilson. Cause right. It was Tom, because we, we'd been, it was, yeah, it was 84, because the Oscars were still on the go underneath the Rockland. And I always remember, um, we went in, and the guy said, oh, Tom, you know, blah, blah, blah. He said, I've got some new videos that just come over from the States. And we said, what's that? He says, well, check this out. He says, it's Lionel Richie all night long. And he put the video in the machine. And we, we watched the, the promo video, and then he put in Stevie Wonder, Do I Do, with Dizzy Gillespie on the, on the trumpet. I went, wow, she's, do you want him? 
so he gave us the, the promo so we went straight back that weekend uh, for the Sunday night it was a Sunday night it was Oscars and then the Sunday night we put on Lionel Richie all night long on the on the, the video player to play it in the, the TV because we had a TV screen in, in Oscars and everybody was watching this you know and, and then do I do that was a highlight that was, that, was a, that was a good memory another memory was going down to London on a, on a visit and we went into this club and the DJ was called Graham Cantor and he was also an A&R artist and repertoire man right and he said I've got these two new guys on my books I said, oh, oh yeah. He says, yeah. He says, I think we're going to be good. He says, it's going to be a nice poppy song. He says, I've got a white label, 12 inch here. I said, what's it called? He says, Wham Rap. He says, you want to meet the guys? I said, yeah, okay. So we were in this booth. There was Andrew Ridgely, George Michael, Graham, myself, and Neil Fincham. You know what I mean? And we sat and had a, a couple of drinks with George Michael and that before. Yeah. Wham. There was some promo. They were, they were going to be doing a promo that night, you know, miming to the, to the song. You know, so that, that was another memory. Well, here's your insight, people, to the Hatchet Community Unleashed podcast show, the People's Podcast. We have just been interviewing James Combe, a long-time serving DJ to Edinburgh and from many genres, even before I was born. So I want to say good thank you again for listening to this fantastic interview. Please come back. We'll have an up-and-coming interview soon. You'll see us on the Hatchet and Ramsey Unleashed Facebook page. Thank you again to James Combe and to the fantastic insight to music in the DJing scene in Edinburgh and to his background to life and how what he's been doing from the army, how he got started. It's been a fantastic time. So thanks again, people. We will be back uh, to another show. We'll be interviewing a hairdresser soon in the new year, uh, finding all the insights of how to learn about hair. If you, if you have hair, it's always a good thing, which I don't. Uh, but anyway, uh, so it's an added bonus. So I want to say thanks again to listening to the We're Here to Rock, the podcast world. Remember that? We are here. So thanks again and good night.